As Todd mentioned, uh, we're continuing our series on, on God's names uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, if you turn there in your Bible, uh, it might title it uh, The Burning Bush or something uh, like that. Uh, but this is also uh, the passage where God reveals uh, his name to us that some people call his, his personal name. It's, it's the Lord, uh, L-O-R-D in all capital letters there in, in our English Bibles. Uh, it's Jehovah in some older translations or, or maybe Yahweh if you're, if you're sort of feeling pretentious, you could say Yahweh. Um, so if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. It's Exodus 3. If you don't, we've got it printed for you there in your bulletin. Uh, let's look at Exodus 3, um, verses 1 uh, through 15. Let's give our attention uh, to God's Word. Uh, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's word. Father, we thank you now. Uh, for your word, and we pray uh, that you would bless it uh, to our hearts this morning. We ask this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've been uh, thinking about names uh, the past few weeks, and especially uh, this week, um, 
One similarity that's occurred to me with, with our names and God's names is just that the more uh, you know a person, uh, the more meaningful uh, their name uh, becomes to you. Uh, if I meet someone uh, named Bob, initially that's, that's really all I have for him. Uh, Bob is essentially like a, like a social security number to me. It marks him out from the other people in the room. And then maybe over time, if I get to know Bob a little bit better, I might know a little bit about his family. Uh, I associate other things with him, maybe what he does for a living or some hobbies that he enjoys. Uh, but the name Nan uh, means so many things uh, to me. Uh, my wife's name, it's not just a simple uh, set of traits. Uh, there's a whole history and set of emotions and shared experiences and responsibilities. And it's because I know her so well uh, that the name uh, means so much to me. And of, and of course, uh, it's also because I care uh, about her. I don't just have a lot of information about her. And so it's true that, that the longer uh, you know the Lord uh, and the better uh, you know the Lord, uh, the more meaningful uh, just the mention of that name uh, can become to you. But at the same time, his name is also very different uh, than our names. Uh, God's name is not given to him uh, by his parents. It's not given to him by Moses or, or any other uh, writer in scripture. Uh, God's names are his revelation uh, to us. Uh, he makes himself known uh, in his names. Uh, he does not need a name. Uh, his names are for our sake. Uh, they're to teach us who he is. And in scripture, um, especially uh, with his names, uh, we often don't get a narrator to come along and say, oh, by the way, here's exactly uh, what the name means. It's, it's the narrative that serves as the explanation uh, for the name. The meaning is in the story itself. And so even though this name, uh, the Lord, occurs almost 7,000 times uh, in the Old Testament and then sort of indirectly again several more times in the New Testament, it's this story in particular uh, where Scripture unfolds for us uh, what the Lord uh, means. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Exodus, uh, this is where the, the famous story about the parting of the Red Sea occurs. Uh, Israel uh, passes through the waters safely, but then the entire Egyptian army is drowned behind them. This is when the Hebrew people become uh, the nation of Israel. But those things don't happen until the middle of the book. Um, that's way later. Uh, in the first chapter of Exodus, we learn that the Hebrews have fallen out of favor uh, with the Egyptians. Now, uh, there's a new Pharaoh, and he doesn't remember Joseph. Uh, he doesn't remember uh, the good things that Joseph did uh, for the Egyptians. And so he sets the Hebrews to forced labor and even makes a plan to kill all of their newborn sons. All that happens uh, in Exodus chapter one. And then in chapter two, at the end, we're told that God has heard Israel's groaning and he remembers his covenant with Abraham. All that's a setup for what happens here in chapter three for God's call to Moses to be the deliverer of his people and what prompts Moses to ask, but what is uh, your name? 
And so I want to look at the, the narrative to try to understand that name. And I really, I really want us to see two things uh, about God himself, that he is both transcendent and compassionate. Uh, what we see in the story is that both of these are constantly at work, that God is utterly holy and independent and in need of nothing outside of himself. And yet at the same time, he is absolutely committed to the salvation and flourishing of weak and ordinary people. That's just who he is. The Lord is both creator and redeemer. Um, when I was a kid, I, my parents would take me to this restaurant and out front, it, this is hard to describe if you don't know what I'm talking about, but there was a kind of optical illusion. It was a floating faucet sitting out in front of the restaurant. I don't know if you've seen one of these, but water was coming out of the faucet um, and it appeared to be floating a couple feet off the ground. It wasn't attached to any wall and you, you could walk all the way around it. I thought this was so fascinating. Uh, as I was a kid, as I got older, you know, I figured out, oh, okay, there's like a clear pipe running up through the water and you can't see it. That's, what, that's what's holding it up. But, you know, even as a kid, I, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on, but I knew that faucet wasn't floating. I knew there was some kind of trick because things don't suspend themselves in the air. That's, that's, not, that's not how objects and gravity work, right? Well, well, Moses, uh, he is not a kid in this story. Uh, in Exodus 3, Moses is probably about 80 years old, and he sees a bush that is on fire, and he wants to know, why won't it burn up? So he's curious. As far as we can tell here, he has no idea what he's uh, really looking at. Of course, uh, what he saw was far more uh, than an optical illusion. It was more than a simple suspension of the laws of nature. Um, fire often uh, in scripture uh, is representative of God himself. Uh, you might think of the fire that passed between the animals uh, in Genesis 15 when God makes his covenant uh, with Abraham. You might think of the pillar of fire that led Israel uh, through the wilderness or even uh, later on in Exodus, God is going to appear in a fire at the top of Mount Sinai. Actually, the, the Hebrew word for bush, uh, sine or sine, sounds like uh, Sinai. Um, everything that happens to Moses in these first few chapters is going to happen uh, to Israel later. Um, but what's different here is that fire is, is not alone. Uh, the fire is in a bush that won't burn up. Uh, this fire does not appear to need any fuel. So you see what's going on here. Even in the way that he appears to him, God is already showing Moses that he doesn't need anything outside of himself. He is self-existent. And before Moses has any time to even make sense out of this, the fire begins to speak to him and the fire knows his name. And the fire says, don't come any closer. At this point, I can imagine uh, Moses' uh, curiosity is, is 
transforming into a sense of danger. And the fire says, I am the God of your fathers and the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses was afraid. Uh, He was afraid. He knows that he is in the presence of true holiness, of the source of all holiness, the uncreated one who lacks nothing, who never learns, who eternally knows all things. He never Googled anything. Who not only rules history, but is beyond history. You see, if this is true, and it is true, Moses knows what he owes him everything. Uh, You and I owe God everything. Uh, There is nothing in our lives that is untouched by the Lord. Uh, Not your friendships. uh, Not the way that you spend your money. uh, Not the things you look at. Not the things that you even uh, think about. Uh, So worshiping him is not something that just can be reduced to to some regular appearances on Sundays. It is something that must be in your bones and from the heart. And with every breath that you take, it is only proper to stand in awe of his glory and his majesty here. I wonder sometimes uh, if our if our thoughts of God uh, are just too small. I wonder if we just, we focus too much on psychology, um, how we feel and how, how we think God might feel about us and how God makes us feel. We become overly concerned with, with some sort of evaluation of the benefits of knowing him rather than simply knowing him. By the way, when God reveals himself, uh, there is no room left for skepticism. Moses had no choice but to believe. What we see here is that it's not enough that it's never simply enough to believe uh, that God exists or that he's the creator or that he's all-powerful and self-sustaining or that he's the source of all holiness because he is not only transcendent. Now, what we see in the rest of the story is that God is compassionate. Now, Moses learns that although God needs nothing, he cares for the needs of his people. You can imagine Moses' face is, is still hidden. Uh, perhaps he's bowed down and he's, he's holding his hands up, maybe, maybe to shield himself. Uh, but God just keeps on speaking in verse 7 and says, I have seen the affliction of my people. Uh, this is why he's here. This is why he's speaking to Moses at all. He is responding to their groaning. The God who is beyond all history enters the history of his people. And he's not simply stronger 
than their suffering. He plans to do something about it. Uh, We're told here in these few verses that he's seen their affliction. He's heard their cries. He knows their sufferings. And this is more than just a simple awareness of the information. God has a preoccupation with and a concern for their affliction. He is not uninterested. He comes down to deliver them. I know words like oppression and and justice um, have been getting a lot of use lately. And sometimes I think we can grow unnecessarily skeptical of those words. And what I want us to see here is that we should want a God who cares about oppression. I mean, you can, you can think of the, the scolding that God could have given Israel at this point. We, we, we discover in detail later how they've already begun to go after uh, the gods of Egypt. There's a lot of things God could have said here, but what we get is the very first time in verse seven that God ever calls them my people. And then he says it again in verse 10. In other words, what he wants them to know is that they belong to him. This God who needs nothing obligates himself to his people. He cares about their hardship. Uh, Their connection to him is... It's not based on anything they've done to please him or to earn his favor. It is grounded in his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And because he never changes, his promises never change. They do not depend on his people, but on his unchanging character. And all that sounds great, uh, but Moses has some questions. It seemed quite reasonable to me. God has just told him uh, that he will deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians where they have been enslaved for 80 years. It's already somewhat unbelievable if it weren't being spoken out of a fire. I mean, how is this really going to happen? But then in verse 10, it seems like he's changing the plans. He tells him, he tells Moses, I'm going to send you to do it. Moses, you're going to bring Israel out. And I know you haven't seen an Israelite in 40 years since they rejected you, but I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses says, who am I? Have you ever asked something like that? Who am I, God? I mean, what, what am I doing here? Why, why would you want anything to do with me, much less ask me to do something for you And what God says is, well, he could have listed for Moses some of the gifts that he saw in him. He he, he could have mentioned the fact that he was aware that Moses had already uh, tried to help help out his people on other occasions. But what he says is, it's not about you, Moses. It's not about you. All you need to know is that I will be with you. God 
is doing the saving here. And for, for anyone to respond to God's call in any way, God must uh, be with him. It is the only way. It has always been this way. And so you may have your doubts uh, that God could really love someone like you or that he could really use uh, someone like you, but it is his glory to help the helpless. Well, okay, God. Remember, he's talking uh, to a fire and a bush here. We've got to keep that in our minds. Moses has one more question. But what if they ask me what your name is? It might seem like a strange question. At this point in Israel's history, it's not entirely clear uh, how much Israel still knows about God. Um, We know later in Exodus that the people make a golden calf and worship it, and they call it the Lord. Um, We get a little glimpse into how far they have fallen from a true understanding of who God is. Uh, But we also know that Seth and Noah and Abraham and his sons, uh, they use the name uh, the Lord. And so I think we can understand the name here as as more uh, than just these letters and the sounds that it makes. Um, This has God's whole character in view, and it's that character that Israel uh, had begun to already fall away from. And so it's not the first time anyone has ever uttered this name, but I believe it is the first time that anyone has understood this name on God's own terms. And so Moses asks, what is your name? I think this is similar uh, to what he asks later in Exodus 33, when he says, show me uh, your glory. He's saying, God, God, tell me who you really are. Some of you might think this is a little, I don't know, ambitious, but I think he might be saying something like, God, how do your transcendence and compassion fit together? I mean, I can understand one and then the other, but how is it that you're both? And God says, I am who I am. Perhaps at this point, Moses thinks, maybe he didn't understand my question, you know. (laughs) It's a little bit cryptic. I think God's doing a couple things here. He's, of course, he's setting up the the revelation of his name that comes in verse 15. But he's also, he's showing God, I mean, showing Moses that he is beyond explanation. He is as comprehensible as a bush that is on fire that just won't burn up. He's not being illogical or or contradicting himself anyway. It's just that he's far beyond our capacity to grasp him. He is. He always has been and he always will be. So he sort of answers with a kind of of (laughs) non-answer. God tells Moses, why are you even asking me this? I am who I am. I'm beyond your comprehension. I'm beyond all your definitions. I'm even beyond names. You could never explain me, Moses. Who sent you? Tell them I am sent you. That same word, Uh, for I am, both times there in verse 14. If you look back, it's the same word 
in verse 12, that's translated, I will be uh, with you. Uh, It could could be translated, I am with you there back in verse 12. Uh, The great I am condescends to be with and work through Moses is the same I am who comes to deliver uh, his people. And so finally in verse 15, uh, we get the name, the Lord. I won't bore you with the details, but the, the Hebrew uh, for the Lord is, is just similar, uh, may, perhaps has a similar root uh, to the word for I am uh, that he just used. And so God's personal name reflects this transcendent and self-existent character, but he doesn't stop there. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. In other words, and this is so important, he says, all that I am, I am for my people. All that God is, he invests in the salvation of those that belong to him. And so to know him by this name is to know him as the creator of all things who is altogether glorious in and of himself and one who looks intently on affliction and he enters in. Now he is beyond history and yet he enters into history uh, for his people's sake. And so in Acts chapter four, uh, Peter, uh, speaking of Jesus says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in Revelation, Jesus is described as one who is and who was and who will be. Jesus is the fullness of God's revelation and as such, he embodied the name, the Lord. Now he actually says, I am about 30 times uh, in the book of John. Several of those are familiar to you. I am uh, the bread of life. I am the light of the world and I am uh, the good shepherd and so on. And then in chapter 18, what we read Um, Earlier in the service, he simply says, I am. And 600 soldiers fall to the ground as they get a little glimpse of his glory. But all of these, every single time uh, Jesus uses that phrase, it is not simply to show uh, that God is great. All those mentions of I am take place in the context of a life that always moved toward the cross. He was always on his way to deliver his people from oppression. Moses delivered his people because the Lord was with him, but Jesus delivers as the Lord himself. Uh, He took on humanity and he faced down a far greater enemy than Pharaoh and he delivered his people from the oppression of sin and death. And so how should we think of this name, the Lord? What should we think of when we think of the Lord? Well, we should trust not only his ability to save, but his desire and his will to see it through. The Lord loves to save his people. He is not looking to be impressed. He is looking for people who will say, who am I? He is looking for people who cry out uh, for mercy and who know that they need what only he has. 
uh, the power to deliver from their oppression of sin. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you uh, that you are uh, the Lord, that in Jesus Christ, you are for us, and there is nothing in this world that can be against us. We pray that you would help us to believe that, help us to trust you, help us to put all of our faith and hope in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We pray this in his name. Amen.